Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. This is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. Yo, what's going on? Yo, I am back in the NC. Oh, that's right. Yeah, last one you were you were gone. I was. Good trip. Oh, good trip. Good trip. Yep. Awesome. All the things. All the family awesome. things. <laughs> so, baby, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Cool. Yes, and we've had a big week. Yeah, the world. New, yeah, well, the country, but yes. <laughs> well, yeah, the country. Really the world, because the world was looking at us a little funny. And now they're kind of like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so we have a new administration that mm-hmm. just swore in yesterday or a couple of days ago. Yes, yeah. So. And, and fantastic memes that are going on around Bernie Sanders. I can't stop. I can't stop. I just texted. I was late to recording because I sat down to review everything and started looking at Bernie Sanders memes. And so <laughs> and so I lost track of time and here we are. Yeah. Here mm-hmm. we are with a phone full of Bernie memes. I know. <laughs> I kept getting like random ones today and then finally just before actually you texted I had gotten, you know, I don't know, Kelly sent me the Facebook like link to like just a whole scrolling of them. <laughs> and I was just yeah. scrolling through like 35 of them. Bernie's been nowhere for like a year or more. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it's like, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fabulous. I'm here for it. It is ridiculous. They, I mean, <laughs> the way people have like cut him out and like put him like seamlessly into <laughs> on the game of theme. thrones like throne iron throne <laughs> that was yeah. a good one in the bird box oh i don't think i saw that one boat all good they're funny i think he was in a, a train on one and this one was like one of those gifts so it was like it was moving it was like the train was moving and emery like texted it and was like i'm on my way he texted that. <laughs> oh, you're in the train with Bernie? <laughs> don't have train. Could, could you ask him if you can see his mittens? <laughs> Try on those mittens, please. And who made them for him? Who knitted them? I like to know. Exactly. Exactly. Somebody. All right, was. we're going to have to post the meme now. I know. <laughs> we totally should. Should okay. just post it tonight after we're done chatting. <laughs> oh, won't be relevant. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> Stay tuned to our social media for our favorite Bernie memes. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Sweet. Bernie mitten memes. All right. Well, I'm glad that we could get the laughter out of the way right now because this is going to be a rough one. Uh-oh. Yeah. As so. opposed to our normal... Spot of teas. <laughs> yes. Compared to all the funny crimes we've done in the past. Hilarious. This one is going to be hard. Okay. Um, so are you ready? Ready for yes, me to I'm ready. right into it? Okay. I don't know, but okay. Okay. This is um, the story of Angie Hausman. 
which I know you know. <laughs> I but. do know Angie Hausman. I didn't for some reason. Like like I was telling you right before we started, I don't know why I didn't hear hadn't heard of this one before, but it's it's a doozy for sure. And it was a suggestion from a listener here in St. Louis, Carolyn. So Hello, Carolyn. Yes. Hello. And thank you for the suggestion. I mean, thank you, but not so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. No, I'm kidding. It was it was a good one for us to do, I think. So Let's get into it. So Angie Hausman, I think it was Angie Marie Hausman, was born on February 18th, 1984. Her parents were Diane Hausman and Angelo D'Andrea. So Angelo is her birth father, but he's not in her life at all. For I don't know why he wanted to be part of her life, but for reasons that I don't know, Diane's parents wanted him to stay away from what I've read. And I actually had a hard time finding out who he was, but there was like an article in like 2019 where it's like Angie Hausman's father finally breaks his silence. And like, he like spoke to the news at that point, but he said that he had sent presents and money to support her for nine years with hopes of seeing her again one day. But again, I don't know what the reasons were why he was kept from her. I don't know. Hmm. So something probably went down. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, I don't know their ages. I don't know if they were young. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. There's not, there's not much out there for it. So I do know that she lived in St. Anne, Missouri. So this is a local kind of case for me with her mom, Diane Bone and her stepfather, Ron Bone. And she had been with them. Like she had been with Ron ever since she was just under two. I think Ron said it was like a year and 10 months was when he met her for the first time. What a name though. Ron, Ron Bone. Bone. Mm-hmm. I know. I every like time he I has a to... real, like a, just a choice of a few professions with a name like that, you know, like yeah. Ron, Ron mm-hmm. Bone. <laughs> yeah. And he was at the time of this case, he was like a um, appliance mechanic, I think at Sears. Oh yeah. No, that doesn't work. And now he's a truck driver of sorts. Hmm, I can't remember. Better. Yeah. So, um, so he, she had lived with him. Like that was basically the you know only dad she really knew. She had been with him her whole life, and she had a two-year-old brother, Ronnie Jr. So we've got another Ron Bone Jr. So Angie's family and friends. And, t- and teachers would describe her as outgoing. She loved people and always had a smile on her face. She was always looking to make a new friend. People close to her said that one of her favorite things to say was, Hi, my name is Angie. Are you my friend? Aww. <laughs> I think that's super cute. She was ambitious and at a young age had the idea that one day she would become a nurse's aide. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I don't even know. I mean... I don't know that. Well, I guess my 10-year-old would think of something like that, but I don't know if most would be thinking of that. You know, Definitely that not me at 10. Yeah. No. Oh, heck no. Mm-mm. So um, the neighborhood that she lived in in St. Anne, neighbors have described as a safe neighborhood, and they would often see Angie outside playing or riding her bike around. In 1993, Angie was a fourth grade student and went to 
I think you pronounce this, Booter Elementary School in St. Anne. And all of this is a... I was just about to get to that. I was going to say, how far away is it from you? Yeah, that's my next statement was going to say, all of this is about 30 minutes from where I live. So a little close to home here. Yeah. She would take the bus home from school and get dropped off about a half of a block away from her house, and it was approximately nine houses from hers. On November 18th, 1993, it was just an ordinary day. She went to school, and the bus dropped her off at her bus stop on the corner of St. Gregory Lane and Wright Avenue at around 4 p.m., and it would typically take Angie about five minutes to walk home from the bus stop. Barring, you know, seeing a friend that she might stop and be like, hey, you want to play when I <laughs> drop all my stuff off or whatever? I'm Angie. Am I your friend? Yeah. Are you my friend? Do you want to play? <laughs> so after about 30 minutes, her family got a little bit concerned because it was not quite like her to not come right home. And then they reported her missing within a couple of hours of not returning home. And the police began to search immediately and they brought a police dog out and that the dog tracked her scent along Wright Avenue, but lost her scent about halfway to her house. And at the time, which this seemed like such a weird statement to make, the investigators said they weren't sure if the wind blew the scent away or if she had gotten into a car at that point. I don't, know that I've ever heard anybody refer to like sense being blown away. Have you? I mean, never. Yeah. No. So I feel weird. Like it was a really weird statement to make, but I don't know. Maybe they just didn't know about enough about it back then. I don't know. But anyway, or it was a blizzard or like a hurricane weather. <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. Not in November here. Right. Like it would be chilly, but it wouldn't necessarily be like, I mean, clearly I don't know what it was like, in, but n- now in November, it's not like, even close to being blizzardy. So anyway, so they just seemed like she had just vanished right at that spot because they just lost the scent. Oh my gosh. That's so haunting. Yeah. It's like Leah Hickman's scent just vanished in this one spot. Like, yeah, so true. Yeah. Such a weird thing. So police family and the FBI scoured the area for days. Did that just sound like New York? Because right after I said it, (laughs) For days. Yes. <laughs> okay, sorry. It just hit me and I had to stop. So they scoured the area for days and talked to everyone that they could about Angie. They would get calls with leads and track down each one that came in. And one of the news reports that I watched said that they were at sometimes even hindered by false ones because they would get any call that came in, they would follow it and spend time following up with it and then it would just like either turn out to be nothing or it would just been like something fake somebody that somebody called and made something up which I please don't do that people like that's just really it really is like just such a bad citizen and karma yeah it's just karma guys unnecessary it's ridiculous such a waste of time yeah police even had a psychic call in and tell them that she would be found in the bush wildlife preserve but Clearly, most people don't take those kinds of things very seriously. I'm sure there are people that do, but I would imagine that they don't take it all too seriously. After days and days of following leads, everyone was growing frustrated. And nine days later, on November 27th, 1993, Angie's body was found by deer hunters in a remote area of the Bush Wildlife Preserve. So, should have taken the psychic. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
<laughs> or should have taken her a little bit more seriously. A psychic also, I read somewhere, said that the killer would never be found. But, I mean, she was kind of close. Not never, but it was a long time. So she was found in this wildlife preserve, which is about a 7,000-acre piece of land, and it's got, like, greenways that go around it. And apparently at this time, I don't know if it's still the case now, but they allowed bow hunting on those grounds, so that's why they mm. were going in. And I will say now, the next couple of minutes are going to be really hard to hear. So as I describe how Angie was found, so if you are a little squeamish about and sensitive about things that happen to children, you might want to skip ahead just a couple minutes. So are you ready, Beth? I'm ready. I can't skip ahead, sadly. No, you can't. Mm. Angie was found handcuffed to a tree naked. Her head was basically duct taped to the tree and there was duct tape covering her eyes and her mouth. Her nose was pretty much the only thing that was not covered in tape. She had lacerations to her thigh and wrists. And they said that they weren't deep enough to kill her. Like they were almost like slit wrists and that maybe somebody was trying to kill her. But then it was like, oh, no. And they didn't go deep enough because they changed their mind. But she had these lacerations on her wrists and a thigh. She was violently sexually assaulted and tortured. There were pieces of torn underwear in a Dollar Tree bag close by, and a piece of the torn underwear was also found in her mouth that was being used as a gag. Her backpack was close by, and also all of the clothes that she had been wearing that day were there, and they were just neatly folded in the area. And whoever had taken her had left her there alive. Some of the lacerations that they found were due to her struggling extensively to free herself. And when she was found, she was malnourished, dehydrated, and tortured. The autopsy reports said that she had been severely beaten for days. Her cause of death was determined to be hyperthermia because the night before she was found, it was below zero. So this awful human being tortured her, sexually assaulted her, and left her there alive can't even imagine what was going through her head as she no was there you know she can't see anything because she's got tape over her eyes she's bound awful they had no idea who could have done this to her and no solid leads or suspects i mean clearly they look at the usuals the stepdad they even polygraphed him and the press conference that i watched which they polygraphed the stepdad they did Ron Bone? Yes, Ron Bone. And they, the, in, in the press conference that I watched, it was, it was stated that they couldn't rule him out completely, but they don't have any evidence that he was linked to it. But they've just not, I don't know if they have in the last couple of years, but I know at that time when they did finally arrest somebody, they said that they still couldn't rule that he out that he was involved. I don't think he was based on everything that I've read and like seen. I don't think he was, but that's just what was stated. Investigators involved in the case never gave up on it. They would constantly bring it back to the surface and do more testing throughout the years. DNA testing back then clearly wasn't, you know, that great. It was just becoming a thing. So they could only do so much, <clears throat> but as things advanced, they would take, you know, another look at the case and then open it back up. Oh my up. gosh. Can you imagine these poor police officers who were so haunted, I bet, by this case that they just could not like, 
okay, it's been a year, let's do something else. Okay, it's been another couple of years, let's do something else, like tirelessly still right. probably yeah. dreaming about this poor girl. And what from what I can re- remember, it's like the same two that just kept going at it and just yeah. and like not wanting to give up on it. And I mean, thankfully they didn't. So they tested the DNA evidence again, or they tested the evidence again in 2004, but nothing came of that. And then in that same press conference that I mentioned earlier, prosecutor Tim Lomar had made a statement that I hadn't known or even thought of prior to this, but he was saying that they had like many pieces of evidence in this case from the scene, but as they would test one, it would almost make it unusable to be tested again. Right, it's like use, they're wasting it or something. Right, so you would use like, oh, well, there was that, you know, piece of DNA and we can't test it again. We've used it now. And so like that would just like kind of get put in a box. And so they had multiple items, but they didn't want to just keep testing it and test like everything because then, you know, when things advanced again, they would have nothing left. So <clears throat> they were just vigilant in determining when they should test certain items. So... And also, apparently, back in the day, if an article of clothing had dye in it, the dye acted as an inhibitor during lab testing. So you couldn't produce accurate results, and it would kind of mess with the results. So, And her underwear, and they knew this at the time, had like a pink dye to it. So they couldn't really test it because they they knew it was just going to come back inconclusive anyway because that dye was going to inhibit the test results. So... In 2013, they formed another task force to continue working on Angie's case. But again, nothing really came of it then. But in 2017, there was a huge breakthrough in technology. And now they were able to test items and the dye would not affect the results. So it's just like, again, they're like vigilance on deciding when to test things in this. You know, like they just waited. Like it must have been horrible to wait that long. But just to keep waiting and not testing that evidence so that it wouldn't get ruined. <clears throat> so, I'm sorry. <clears throat> in 2019, they then decided to take one more crack at the test. So that advancement happened in 2017, but they didn't jump right back into testing it. 2019, they were getting ready to send most of the evidence off to the FBI labs because they have way more Um, things that they can do than the local labs, but they decided, okay, let's just take one more crack at it locally first before we send all this out. So they retested that one piece of torn underwear. And this particular testing came up with a hit in the CODIS system. And in June of 2019, they announced that they had a suspect. The DNA was matched with 61-year-old Earl Webster Cox, who is a veteran who was at the time currently in federal custody in North Carolina. Oh, weird. Wait, at the time of the crime or at the time that the DNA matched? At the time that the DNA matched, he was in federal custody in North Carolina. So we've got this like Missouri, North Carolina. Wow. Oh, my goodness. This case was meant to be. Yes, it was. For us to cover, not to happen. Right. Yes. Yes. Clarify. (laughs) When we come back from the break, I'll give you just a little bit more details about Earl Cox. (laughs) 
Hey there, I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal or murder, join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the handle at 3 Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you. Our suspect, Earl Cox, in 2019, is in federal prison in North Carolina. But let's get a little back story to him. In 1975, Earl joined the Air Force, and he served our great country. However, he was dishonorably discharged in 1982 after being found guilty of several sexual offenses against four juveniles in Germany. So this man... Starting out this trend already. He was court-martialed and sentenced to eight years in Leavenworth Federal Penitentiary. Only after three years, in 1985, he was paroled and released. And in 1988, he transferred his federal parole to the state of Missouri, where he took up residence in Breckenridge Hills, Missouri, which is just about a quarter of a mile from the abduction site. Three years he served for for molesting or abusing four children. Yes. He was sentenced to eight, but then got paroled after three. I mean, sentenced to eight? Mm -hmm. I know. I know. Well, yeah, just wait. In 1989, he was a suspect in the sexual abuse of two girls in Overland, Missouri. And all of this is kind of in the same general area of the state. He was charged in these cases, but the charges were later dropped. But due to being charged it was a violation of his parole and his parole was revoked and he was sent back to Leavenworth but in 1992 he was then again released and he moved back to Missouri using some of his relatives addresses because I think his sister lived pretty close to the school that Angie went to and he ended up moving into his own place in Ferguson which also is not just probably about five miles away from St. Anne, but he, he did not live there anymore. His family still lived close to where Angie lived, but he lived a little bit further away. So now where he, you know, released in 1992 and lives in Missouri again. So 1993, when Angie's abducted, he's clearly in the area when all this happened, Mm. but nobody caught him at that time. So In 1997, Earl becomes involved with a child pornography network based in Colorado known as the Brotherhood. They apparently facilitate international distribution of child porn. I did not look them up because I have no interest in knowing anything about them. No, no, no. You do not need that on your computers. Nope. Mm -mm. Yeah, I'm good. In November 2002, he sent some emails to what he thought was a 14-year-old girl That were very sexually explicit, but it turns out that this was an FBI agent. And he was then arrested early 2003, and when they did a search of his computer, they found 45,000 images uh, and videos of child porn, including of children as young as three years old. (gasps) No! Just gross. Disgusting. 
he, he, this is the, the, the most disgusting man I've ever read about, I feel like. I, I don't think I've ever read about anybody more gross than this guy. <clears throat> he was found guilty of a few charges and sentenced to 120 months in federal prison. Ten years. Ten years for all of that. Like, And he has prior history. And you're still only giving him 10 years. With the exact <clears throat> same offense. Right. Exactly. Clearly, the man is deranged. He's so a he pedophile. Was, mm-hmm. He was supposed to be released in 2011, but multiple doctors, thankfully, testified that he had no empathy for his victims and he would have trouble refraining from this behavior in the future. And he was deemed a sexually dangerous person in order to be criminally criminally confined under the Adam Walsh Act, which mm-hmm. <clears throat> allows authorities to keep a convict past their sentence if a panel deems a person is likely to reoffend. And thankfully, they did deem him likely to reoffend. He became a patient in Butner Medium Security Facility in North Carolina. And that's about- I know someone who works at Butner right now. Is is that the old neighbor? Yes. The one who I bought a house from. Yes. You <laughs> lived in his house. <laughs> I was what I mean, I don't know. I didn't think, but I was like, I always wonder where he works. But yes. Yeah. And it says it's like 25 miles from you guys. Yeah. It's not far at all. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's where he was. He was, you know, right there. Hmm. And he was there when they tested and found his DNA along with Angie's on her underwear. And so then they extradited him back to Missouri to face the charges in Angie's case. And when questioned about what happened, he said that he was having trouble with his car that afternoon. And so he happened to pull over to check it out. So it is assumed that he was out like visiting his family or, you know, somewhere near his family. When he spotted the bus stop to let Angie out and moments later, he saw Angie walking down the street. He said initially that Angie approached him. Which, knowing how outgoing she is, like, hi, I'm Angie, are you my friend, could have been possible, entirely possible. However, when he was pressed further, that's not what happened. He asked her if she was hungry, and she said she was, and so she got in his car. I was going to say, you know she probably got the creep factor from him a little bit. I'm just, well, yeah, you'd think, but. I I bet she did, but she was a little girl in the, the 90s. Exactly. Exactly. Early 90s. Mm-hmm. So she got in his car and they went to Burger King and then just drove around. And they were in the car for, you know, potentially hours. And eventually he took her back to his home, which was a mobile home, apparently. And he held her there for days while he brutally sexually oh assaulted her and tortured her. And, and he admitted to all of this. He did admit to all of this. And he, at the time, had a live-in girlfriend boggled my mind when I first read that, that how you could hide a, you know, nine-year-old girl in your... You cannot. Yeah. Well, apparently, he forbid her from going into the back room of the house, and she barely spoke English at the time. I don't know where she was from. And she was afraid of him, so she just said she listened to him. And in... I think it was still that same press conference I watched. I don't know. It was like a 40-minute press conference of when they figured this whole case out. They said they they talked to her so many different times that they do believe that she didn't know that Angie was in the play, in the home. So they don't think she had anything to do with it. But 
he doesn't not know how long he had her in the house and at what point he brought her and brought to the Bush Wildlife Preserve because he has some gaps in his memory because he's had two strokes. So there's still some spotty areas in his confession that he just doesn't remember because of those strokes. He initially entered a not guilty plea in 2019. However, the prosecutor wanted to make sure that they nailed him for this. And he ended up entering a plea of guilty just to avoid the death penalty because they put that on the table to get mm. his confession essentially because they wanted to hear him say what, what he did. And they knew that there's no guarantee. I mean, they had a lot of evidence, but with a jury, there's no guarantee. So they figured if they can get him to just confess to it, then let's just do it. So he did not have a jury trial and he was sentenced to life without parole on August 20th, 2020. So he was just sentenced not too wow. long ago. And during I mean, COVID too. Yeah. During Rona. So, uh, but, <clears throat> and I almost said this earlier about the whole psychic, about him never being found, because unfortunately, Angie's mom, Diane, died in November of 2016. I was going to ask that. From cancer. And mm. so, as far as her mom is concerned, he was never, but you know, like, so. Oh, she, she knows. In a way. She knows, I guess, yeah. But in a way, the psychic was right. Like, she was never going to have that closure before she died, so. But um, Ron actually said in one of the interviews that she, she officially died from cancer in 2016, but she truly died years before that, right after Angie died, because she just wasn't the same. She was, you know, depressed. Not. She would, like, close curtains because she couldn't stand to see the bus stop or the street. She would cry if she saw a bus because they stayed there for a certain amount of time after Angie disappeared. He said the police told them to stay there. But I don't know why they would have them do that. But I guess they moved out of that house in 1999. So still they stayed for six years. And Angie also now has another brother, Richie, who was born almost 10 years after her death. So he never got to meet her, but he knows of her and her story. And he said his dad was very overprotective of him because of everything that happened to Angie and including things like he'd want to go out for a bike ride. And he was like telling this as a 16 year old mm -hmm. and they would, you know, let him go out, but only if his dad could be like right behind. And the neighbors were so nervous because there would be a car slowly driving behind him when he's riding his bike. Wow. And they would offer to like call the cops and he's like, no, that's, you know, it's just my dad. Like he's just keeping an eye on me. So could you imagine Most protected like, kid on the planet right here? I know, right? It's like he has his own secret service by his dad. Poor buddy. Oh, poor dad. Oh, gosh. Ron Bones. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's little things like that that make me think, like, I don't think he had anything to do with it because he just – he got super protective. They kept – and I want to say – I mean, the articles that I was reading were a lot more recent than 1993 because there's been so much traction in this case, you know, within the last four years that – there's so many more recent articles and they still had her like pink bike in a shed because it was like her favorite bike. And... Oh, no, no. Yeah. So anyway, just such a, I'm so glad they caught him. Hmm. So, but gosh, awful. Terrible awful. story. Yeah. You know what I too was just thinking 
I wasn't just thinking this whenever you were telling the story about how they did the search and his past history and stuff like that. I wonder if he was registered as a sex offender because he would have had to have been technically. And you would think, given the nature of the crime, that the sex offenders in the area would be like the first people that they would go and talk to. I mean, that's what they do now. Right. Yes, I agree. It was never mentioned anywhere that he was registered as a sex offender. Hmm. And so it just seems like he was not even on their radar at all, which is odd. Right. Right. Because he lived so close. I mean, his family was right down the street. He lived a little further away, you know, so maybe even if he was, he wouldn't pop up on the radar for that area. I don't know. know? I think you would check sex offenders within like 30 miles or something. I don't know. I don't know what the radius is. Yeah. And I don't know what the radius was back then. Like. Or hmm. or how prevalent – that's why I should have looked that up. Like the sex offender registry was at that time. Like were they like very adamant about that or mm-hmm. was it something that came a little bit – Especially those ones are that are for assaults. Like right. he had assaults on his record and had served yeah. time and then violated probation and had served time by this crime. So. Right. He would have been on their radar. He would have been somebody that they'd been like, okay, we need to talk to that guy. Right. Yeah. Based on his history. So, hmm. I guess that's a good example of ways it will come in handy. Right. Using mm-hmm. the sex offender registry. I mean, I know there's a lot of bad things about it too, but I wish huh. they'd used it in that case. This yeah. Case. No yeah. kidding. No kidding. Because I feel like they would have had him along time before this. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he would have admitted it and the DNA wouldn't have been able to process, right? But who knows what would have happened if they had, like, had him on the radar. Exactly. But, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, thank you, Carolyn, for sending that our way. Terrible, terrible. St. Louis, North Carolina case. Yeah. I want to say that she said in her email, like she was, she was like around her age or like she was young during that time too. And remembered hearing that story when she was younger. Mm-hmm. So gosh, anyway, she was born in 84. So she'd be like 37 this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's so sad. It's like not far from our ages. No. Mm. Right. Yeah. And kudos to those cops for doing their job forever. I know. Because how easily could that have just been like set on a shelf as like a cold case and just gotten like forgotten yeah. about. And never been solved. Good yeah. gracious. I can't imagine. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's at least a cool thing. Yep. Yeah. Justice for Angie, man. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, thanks for that story. That yeah. awful, horrific, worst person we've ever read about story. Yeah. I th- I really, truly think he is. But, yeah, I mean, it's a hard case. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> You're just so used to saying that statement. I like that right. one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, Carolyn, too, for the suggestion. And thank you guys all for listening. We're happy to be in this new year. And coming at you with these great fun cases, our case suggestions have been bomb. So good. So please keep those coming. We really love them. We're getting them on email and Instagram and 
Facebook and just keep them coming because we really like them. Check out our social media for posts about these stories. We put pictures up and giveaways and coupon codes to our merch or discount codes to our merch and all kinds of stuff. So come check us out. And always remember, the world is scary. People suck. Hide in your closet. Thank